Today's episode is dedicated to Yana, Ramona, and most especially, Senya. This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonstaby. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I apologize. I'm a little late this month on my mid-month podcast, but uh, it's May, and I'm a teacher, and I feel that's all I got to say. Here we go. There aren't what you'd call beaches in Iceland. There are places where the land meets the sea, that land being volcanic rock and gravel, and that sea being the chilly North Atlantic. One day in July of 2001, I sat to eat my humble lunch of a peanut butter sandwich, and so I sat down on an outthrust of volcanic rock, looking out at the sea. I was in a fine mood. I was at the little city of Hafnafjordr. I was a day removed from my first live encounter with whales, and minutes ago, I had been wowed by one of those immense and hoarse northern ravens. And for now, the sun was shining in a country where the weather turns in seconds, and you can go from standing in the rays of the sun to a bitterly windy car wash in the blink of an eye. From my backpack, I drew out my single-volume Lord of the Rings. And on that jut of black rock, peanut butter clinging to the roof of my mouth, I read the last mad axe of Denethor, steward of Gondor. In the siege of his city, he was attempting to immolate himself and his wounded son, Faramir. Stopped by Gandalf, in his last act of insane defiance, Denethor burns himself on a pyre. It's a place and time and taste, I recall whenever I read that scene. And whenever I think of Hafnafjordr, or Nordic ravens, I think with a weird nostalgia of poor, crazy, burning Denethor. And of crunchy peanut butter, and fine European brown bread. That's the story within my story. It's a sort of meta-moment. It's the catcher in the rye, with my back pressed against the cold marble of Gaosheng City Hall. It's the Saxon shore of Jack White, as I take to the Chinese Sea. It's Stephen King's drawing of the three on that flight back from Mexico City, where I stretched out in a rare moment, having a row on an airplane to myself. It's the irony of reading Edward Rutherford's London, a chapter about Viking invaders having just traveled from Britain to Norway. It's finishing 1984 in the midnight sun of Thursmork. 
It's reading Cervantes on my way from Madrid to Seville. If you listened to my podcast before, you've heard my personal philosophy that stories are our single greatest commodity. Another credo of mine comes from St. Augustine of Hippo, but via Grandma Gloria, my muse. What is left over in my person that is not owed to my mother Louise is owed to my Grandma Gloria. And because she was my mother's mother, much of what they share is blended within me. In Canada, we just passed the Victoria Day weekend, and it's 20 years since my Grandma Gloria, May Nee Kohlberg, Adet, passed away. I wasn't at her funeral. I was in Asia and could not get back to it. And part of that's her fault. Travel and stories. Someday, however, the world after this works, I hope to chat with Grandma about the irony that she planted within me a love of travel. And because I was engaging in that love, I could not return to Canada in time for her funeral. I don't remember how old I was when I decided I needed to see Norway. Source of a good deal of my heritage. I have Norwegian ancestry on both sides, and thanks to my grandma and her brothers, as well as Thor comic books and a general interest in mythology, I always wanted to see Norway. I never remember a time where I didn't want to. It was the first country I ever visited outside of the North American continent. That passion for the place led to a passion for its history. And the book of my life studies has always included a chapter on the Vikings. I read the poetic Edda and story Sturluson's prose Edda, as well as his Heimskringla, the history of the medieval Norse kings. I've read and reread the Icelandic and Norse sagas, and once, while in Reykjavik, I beheld one in all its thousand-year-old vellum glory, preserved and on display under glass. A great book from a great place, stretching out over the centuries. The story of the story is sometimes as interesting as the story itself. I can tell you every book I was reading, wherever I was, when I was traveling. I can describe park benches in Berlin or Hong Kong, where I sat and read some pages. I can tell you movies I saw on planes and in foreign lands. The encounter with stories becomes a part of the story itself. There's something liminal about the stage of being on an airplane over the ocean. The halfway upright sleeps that aren't sleeps we have on those journeys. You're emotional and delicate, I'm always deeply moved by the films I watch on the tiny screens once I'm too tired to read and too wired with time confusion to sleep. A month ago, I watched The Green Knight coming back from Europe, and it felt so beautiful and artful. Even it wasn't really that good a movie, it was just a good film. It was the right film for the right moment. The books, the films, even the songs I hear or get in my head, become part of the travel story. 
For 20 years, I've had the habit of singing U2's Elevation to myself when the plane takes off. Elevation. And I remember hitchhiking on a deserted road in Northern Ireland with the great Dave. Singing the singing the GNR version of Since I Don't Have You at the top of our lungs for something to do as we thumbed our way to Derry. I always keep a travel journal. This is also a tradition going back to my first flight over the Atlantic and also to Grandma Gloria. I keep a journal all the time, but my first travel journal was given to me by Grandma Gloria before I'd gone anywhere. It was one of her many encouragements on my life. This journal had a false gold sheen and a classic map of the world. It had come with a cheap plastic bookmark. I finished that journal on that same trip across Northern Europe where I sat eating peanut butter outside Hapnafjordr. And I still have the cheap plastic bookmark. It's adorned with the quote from Augustine of Hippo, my credo, a quote that follows me and that I share with my students. The world is a great book, and those who never stir from home read only a page. I encourage my students to journal. For their own mindfulness, yes. For their school notes, yes. But the reason I tell them to keep the majority of their responses and ideas in a journal, as opposed to just loose pages in a binder, is then they're all collected in one place. The ideas are all near each other, influencing each other, reflecting upon each other. But most importantly, you have created a story of that period in your life. I always use the analogy of eating a traditional Chinese meal. All of the food is gathered on big platters in the middle of the table. In, in fact, at a wedding, it's probably on a turntable, lazy Susan type thing in the center. Each person has a small plate, some chopsticks, and the ubiquitous bowl of steamed rice. As the meal goes on, you pick up morsels of food, set them on your rice, and then eat them off of it. In the end, you eat the rice, which has accumulated now all of the flavors of the meal that's gone before. This is what a journal does. It collects everything you have experienced over the course of that quote-unquote meal. This is important in daily life, but, but for me, it's absolutely mandatory when traveling. I often find myself thumbing through 20-year-old journals, reminding myself of my interpretations of a place or experience. Often I am reminded that my memory is not always accurate, that my experiences and opinions were much different than the gulf of time would have me recall. Again, I remind myself that the most important commodity we have is our stories. That's another of my credos. As a man of texts, of books, of films, of journals, I find that the texts you read while traveling become a part of that trip. They help to frame the story. Recently, I made my first post or with, I guess with, with COVID trip to Europe. Not me personally with COVID, but COVID was still there. I was pretty nervous as though 
we're like uh, we are moving on from COVID, but with COVID, and it appears the virus hasn't got the message that it's done. This was a school tour. 118 of my closest friends, and I made three new ones. We had originally been sent to go to Eastern Europe, but COVID recovery and the war in the Ukraine made this more questionable. Britain and Switzerland were selected for having the lowest restrictions in regards to affecting group travel. It might seem like an odd pairing, Britain and Switzerland, these two countries, but of course I could see the story. I could even impose one that wasn't there. Famously, one of my heroes, and I'm sorry if you're sick of him, but he's going to come up, J.R.R. Tolkien was the embodiment of myth in Britain in the modern age. In fact, he set out to create a new mythology for Britain. But lesser known is that in 1911, he, he went on a walking tour of the Swiss Alps. This tour provided some of his main inspiration for places like Rivendell and for the physical representation of Gandalf. He purchased a postcard uh, that had an old man sitting, uh, feeding a deer. The old man had a broad-brimmed hat, and he looks exactly like what all of us know Gandalf to look like. This trip a month ago went from London and Oxford, where I saw the Eagle and Child, the pub Tolkien used to read his writing at with C.S. Lewis and other writers. And then on to his inspiration in Switzerland. From London to lovely and expensive Switzerland. Like even for a guy who's been to Norway as many times as I have, I find Switzerland expensive. But it is a country that loudly proclaims itself to be what Europe would have looked like had it not suffered two world wars. The whole country is a postcard. And as you stroll through some idyllic mountain towns, you can see why J.R.R. Tolkien was forever enamored with this place. You can see how he was inspired to create Rivendell, a haven of waterfalls and hills and woods, a safe place, a wonderful place, a timeless place, a place that seems to exist outside of time. To be an island of safety and peace in a tumultuous world. A homely house. Throughout Tolkien's writing, there is a longing for a fair green country. Switzerland struck him and stuck with him. It was this trip for me. It became a Tolkien-themed trip. It was... Merely South Britain and Switzerland, but when you see story everywhere, you can, you can impose it upon what you see. Tolkien's works were in my mind the whole trip. When you travel, you encounter stories everywhere. You, you take turns, you take new directions, big or small. You can get the story of a country by touring its great landmarks and museums or by the smallest side encounter with the locals. I often find the most revealing stories are just from a single person giving you some details on her own life, bringing into scope some of the normal and special of a place. 
I imagine most of us do this. When I'm waiting in line in a store, I often study the clerk and think about what clues I have about him and what he tells me about his life. Not stereotypes, just ideas. I suppose it's the storyteller in me. But travel brings this out more. It's an even stronger manner of creating stories. And it's common with people who don't normally consider themselves storytellers too. We're just experiencing so much heightened sensitivity when we travel. We're tired. Every little thing strikes us as different, and every difference strikes us as something that we want to know the cause of. We wonder and we ask. Travel isn't so much culture clash as story cross. Have you ever had a complete and moving conversation with someone? Even when neither of you speaks a single word in common language? If you travel, I'm sure you have. I recall one example amidst hundreds. It was in Taiwan and my first little interest in the country's Buddhism. I entered a temple, pretty much at random, and a woman in normal clothes was lighting some incense. She waved me forward, speaking excitedly to me in Mandarin. She pointed at a small dish with slices of flower petals, or maybe it was ginger. I thought she'd suggested I take one and began to reach for it, but she violently flung my hand away. But she smiled and suggested by showing that I hold my hands up to my forehead, and she ha- she said to me, An mi tovu, an ma ni ba mi hong. Best I can pronounce it. My Mandarin was never good, but it's a version of the Buddhist mantra, Om Mani Padme Hun. Like many, I'm a tourist Buddhist, a secular Buddhist, but whenever I practice any aspect of Buddhism, I remember that story and wonder, did she hope she had accomplished something? Made some conversion, some crossing of cultural boundaries, crossing over language? and my own natural agnosticism? It doesn't matter. It was weird, but it was beautiful. Years ago, I published a short story called Layover. In it, an unnamed male protagonist people watches in an airport while waiting for a plane. He makes up hypothetical stories for the people he sees passing in front of him. He thinks about how we carry our stories with us like baggage. How an airport is like a Venn diagram of human encounters. He meets a woman in the bar in the airport and they go to bed together. And only at the end of it is it revealed that they've been married all along. They're role playing, having some fun, telling stories. The film Love Actually, which, like Die Hard, is not a Christmas movie because it's good, has this narrated bit about how if you want to see love, you should see how people greet each other in an airport. This has always rung true to me. It's a very fine point. A part of that is that air travel is still and likely always will be magical. You were across the world in a different culture, in a different language, surrounded by different stories. Now you're here. Sadly, 
One of the defining features of air travel is also risk. Even before terrorism started making flight a gamble, all of the other risks risks that are tied to mechanical failure, human error, and cascading through the air with 200 other people inside a pressurized metal tube reminded us that we were what we were doing is not natural. And so the relief when it's over, even if you enjoy it as much as I do, especially if there's a good movie playing, makes you that much happier to see anyone with whom you can tell your story. And your story almost always starts with telling them about your flight. Travel moves you. You are not just a person. You're a collection of stories. When you go anywhere, the places you go and the people you see affect and are affected by your stories. A person who is open to the stories of others will find in all times and places fulfillment. Another favorite quote of mine about travel is from Beowulf. It is translated as this, foreign places yield more to one who is himself worth meeting. Even those of us who aren't as forthcoming or open to stories, maybe more so when we travel. Travel calls for a vulnerability in all of us, a risk Going to foreign places in an attempt to learn their stories means giving over yourself. Don't believe me? How many times have you encountered a building, a style, a custom, an expression, a food, and you've asked to yourself or to anyone who will listen, what's the story here? The world is a great book. And generally, the more ignorant a person, the more afraid they are of that book. I get it. The world can be intimidating. Not to dwell on food some more, but I can't help it. But one of the main policies I had on my first trip to Europe was always try the thing on the menu you've never heard of. I hadn't left the airport in Taiwan before I had to adjust that policy for Asia, but I never lost my sense of gastro-adventure. If you read only a page you lose the whole point of life, which is to change what we encounter and to have it change us. Hiding from what we don't know or understand, reading only that one page is what creates the strife because, of course, we fear and judge what we don't understand. It means that the single page we read is the cover that we judge. The world is a great book, and they who never stir from home read only a page. I want to thank you for listening today, and if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.